So we have been studying this summer what it means to be the church, what it means to be the church, right? And Jordan, if you can dim the lights down to the worship. I, I've been sharing this every week, and if you're new, this is just, you know, I'm a visual learner. I like things like that. And so I said, uh, you know, I, I found this years ago, and, and I just love this illustration because this is the church. We've learned, right? When you put your faith in Christ, we are all in Christ, positionally. 1 Corinthians 12, we're all here, right? So there's this, this unity we have positionally as the church. We are the church. Church isn't just a place you go to. If you're a believer in Christ, you are the church. You never stop being the church. And so if this is the church and we're united in Christ positionally, right? This, what we're doing right here, is this. You're here. We gather, right? So we're here. And then when we say amen, we do this. And we scatter, hopefully to be salt and light in this community, in Ventura, wherever you're going to go this week. Sometimes during the week, Tuesday nights, you may gather, right? And you have your little pockets of people that you gather with, not just from this church, but other churches, because we are the church, right? And so we're looking at this idea of one anothering, because if the church is made up of us, the redeemed, and yet we're still fallen, yet we still have this sin nature that, that we're dealing with in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're still in sanctification, we're looking at, well, how are we, even though we're positionally united in Christ, how are we supposed to get along? And that's what the Bible calls one anothering. In fact, there's like 50 plus one another's. 50 plus to the church about how to get along with each other. Thank you, Jordan. You can turn the lights back up, right? And that's what we've been, we've been really looking at because we've seen how we get along is a powerful testimony to a world that right now isn't getting along. Just isn't. And last week we talked about what is biblical acceptance, right? And it's more than just enduring you or tolerating you. It's welcoming those who put their faith in Christ, welcoming into the church, right? Diversity. And we've seen that, man, this one anothering at its core in the flesh, left to our own devices, left to our own understanding, left to our own strength, this one anothering, if we really understand the biblical standard, it's impossible in the flesh. Absolutely impossible. Right? Sounds real simple, not real complex. And yet, in the simplicity, we're humbled by the supernatural requirement. And it is that supernatural requirement that makes it a testimony. That makes it a testimony. It is that supernatural enabling. It is that supernatural work of God in me to love you, accept you, forgive you, that makes the world sit back and go, man, something's going on there. And it is this supernatural enabling that sets us apart from the social clubs and civic organizations. I'm sure many of you are part of wonderful, loving, welcoming, accepting social organizations, civic organizations. There's a lot of nice people out there. What sets the church apart is that we believe there's a supernatural organism, the body of Christ, united in Christ, called to love one another through Christ. You put it all together, the watching world says, wow. That's pretty cool. That's cool. I kinda, I'm, I'm drawn to that. I'm drawn to that, right? And, and we've seen some core one another's, right? And we're going real slow because I said, don't let the simplicity, the apparent simplicity, make you check out. Oh, yeah, I've been there, done that, heard that, heard that, heard that. 10,000 times. Preacher, tell me something I haven't heard. Uh, we're going like almost like slow lane pace here. How many have ever been behind someone that's not moving quite at your speed? <laughs> Thank you for your honesty, Michelle. Right? And you're like, let's go. Let's go. How many of you, if you're at an intersection and the person in front of you, for whatever reason, is extra careful, you start looking for them if it's clear? It's clear. And then you start talking to them as if they hear you. It's clear. It's clear. Why do I know this? I did this yesterday. On the way home with my wife, I'm like, we're coming up La Luna. I'm like, 40, 
At least 40, bud. That's the speed limit. And then we get right there to 150, and I'm like, it's clear. Could have made that gap. How many of you, right? You could have made that gap. They'll see you. They'll slow down. You start moving, they slow down, right? Really clear. Not like clear both ways. You know, finally. And what? They're turning left and I'm turning left. I'm like, oh, great. Now we're going to re- redo this at the light, right? Sometimes we're like that with Scripture. We get behind the Scripture and you come and you're like, let's go. Let's go. Right? You want to zip into the carpool lane. You just want to sing. Why are you in the, you know, we got to slow down. We really have to slow down with our walk with Jesus because truthfully, he's not in a hurry. We're the ones that want to move right on, and he's like, no, 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 not so fast. Remember that when I spoke to your heart a week, two weeks, a month ago? How are you doing with that? Right? We're the ones that get so frantic in our pace of life that we come to the church, and we're just like, they were like this. And we want something new. Come on, come on, come on. And we're like, no, just... So I'm going to do this. See? See? So much better, right? John 13. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we spent some time looking at what it means to genuinely, self-sacrificially love one another as he did for us on the cross. Wow. Can't be too fast on that. Can't be too fast on that, right? Last week, Romans 15, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Last week we looked at this. What does it mean to biblically accept somebody? Right? Accept. That's just one of those words we tend to just race right on by. See you later, accept. Right? And we saw and we spent the whole Sunday looking at what does it mean to accept someone? Because like I just said, it's not endure and it's not tolerate. To accept someone, a brother and sister into the church, someone who has put their faith in Jesus, is not just to endure or tolerate them. So turn to the person next to you and put a big smile on your face. We're not here to just endure and tolerate each other for a couple hours on a Sunday. In fact, biblical welcoming, biblical accepting is to welcome into the family, hospitality, into the circle, right? And this, remember, the context is he's speaking about the church. In Romans 15, the Apostle Paul was dealing with dietary issues and celebrating certain days And he's talking about the stronger and the weaker. So he's talking about the context of the church. And in this church, there is huge diversity. Lots of church backgrounds here. I share with you my story of of challenges within the church of accepting different races and and our own experiences we bring in and the challenges that that God brings in, in the church to be genuinely welcoming to someone different than you. And to say, okay, Lord, wow. This takes you because I got a lot of baggage in my head. I got a lot of bad experiences with a certain group. And it's, if I'm honest, it's coloring me and it's affecting my ability to accept someone who has put their faith in Christ. Remember, the context is in the church, biblical welcoming is for those. He's talking in Romans 15 specifically within the church. Right here. The church. If, this, everyone here is, if everyone here is saved, he's talking about us welcoming one another at the heart level. Acceptance. Receiving. Right? The other thing that's real important from last Sunday, it's not condoning sin. Accepting is not condoning. If you read Corinthians and the other books of the Bible, Paul, especially, is direct. When there's sin in the church, you confront it lovingly, directly. You call for confession and repentance and reconciliation. So don't confuse accepting with condoning. When we talked about accepting, it's at the core. At the core of the church, when someone puts their faith in Christ, they are baptized into the church, and the church at the core is supposed to accept them, welcome them in. Right? We shared the quote from Martin Luther King back uh, 
in the 60s when he said, you know, 11 o'clock on Sundays is the most segregated time in this country. He talked about that and, and kind of led us into just the beautiful picture I see here. Every Sunday, I celebrate, this is Ojai Valley. There is so much beautiful diversity here. And I'm not just talking, it's not just the color of your skin. There's economic diversity here. There's theological diversity here. There's age diversity here. Right? All the neighborhoods in the valley are represented here. Even Upper Ojai. Right, Jody? Woohoo! Right? All the way Upper Ojai. There's diversity on so many different layers here, and I celebrate it. I celebrate it. It even makes it more important for us to stay focused this way. Amen? Because we live in a world that is so divisive, a world that is so uh, and uh and uh, and, the, and we can't help maybe to bring that into the church. And that's why, right? That's why we're looking at this really, really slowly. We're like, okay, we're to love one another self-sacrificially. We're to accept one another, right? And and celebrate the diversity, and and just. Just a, a word of, of an encouragement, you know, uh, there was a phrase that, that sometimes people say, you know, uh, and I know what they mean when they look, and they, they look at a person of color and they say, I don't, hey, I never saw you as, I never saw you as, like, brown, right? Word of encouragement, and just from, from a person who's just, has this much melatonin in me, God made me this way. So, so you don't have to, I see color, but I see a, someone who's fearfully and wonderfully made in that color. Amen? Amen? My buddy, uh, Miles, my mentor, Miles, uh, Pastor Miles down in San Diego, he did this wonderful sermon series years and years ago, and it's called Another Shade of Brown. That's all we are is another shade of brown. Depending on the chemical that you have in there, some of you have more of it and some of you have less of it. And it was a beautiful biblical story going all the way back to uh, Noah. Yeah? And then all the cultures got spread around the world. We all go back, and, and I love his teaching. We're just another shade of brown. Some lighter, and some not so light. And so we can celebrate diversity. Amen? But to celebrate it biblically, it's because God made us that way. And so unity is not uniformity. You've you got to remember that. Biblical unity is not toe-the-line uniformity. You can have unity in diversity because our unity is based on this. Amen? Our unity is based on who we are in Christ. Our unity is based on who we are in the church. And our unity is based on individually and collectively choosing to be faithful to the Scriptures, the truth. Amen? Okay? So we looked at that. We saw kind of the, there's three foundational principles we saw from those two verses, and, and I'm setting this up to move us forward. There's the means, the model, and the motive, right? We saw that the means are the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. You've got to have the scriptures, you've got to have the Holy Spirit. It's beyond man's ability. Our model is Jesus. And what's our ultimate motive? Glorify God. Glorify God. And we ended last Sunday, it's really important. I understand and I celebrate when people say, hey, I'm hearing good things about the well. Hey, I hear you, got, you guys are so friendly. Hey, I hear this. I celebrate that and I, and I say thank you. But here's the, real, here's the bigger motive. We cannot ever stop with people just saying, hey, I hear this about the well. What I encourage you to do when someone kind of pats the well on the back, just say, praise God. The motive is not to lift us up. The motive is that we do what we do in one anothering to the glory of God. Amen? It's real easy to kind of say, well, thank you. Yeah, you should come visit sometime. I get that, and I know what we kind of mean, but you have permission to kind of say, isn't God good? God's doing a great work there. You should come and, and just celebrate God with us. See, take it that one step further, because that's the true motive, is to glorify God. That's what we're here for, Okay? And I get that, but it's real easy to sort of elevate the organization or the personality or the whatever, the facility. It's all to his glory. Amen? Okay? Real important. Real important. John MacArthur says this, All believers are called to accept one another. He is not simply speaking of accepting new believers into our church fellowship. 
although that would certainly be included in this admonition. He is calling on all Christians to accept one another in the fullest and deepest sense, to treat each other with love and understanding, just as Christ also accepted us. If the perfect, sinless Son of God has accepted us into God's divine family, how much more should we be willing to accept each other, despite the fact that we all still carry sinful trappings from our old, unredeemed flesh? I love that. We're to accept one another with the, just with the honest truth that we all are still in process. How many of you are still in process? Right? Not perfect. Anyone here? Got it dialed in? Walking on water? Right? Now, anyone run into that imperfection before you got to church today with somebody else? Thank you for your honesty, Michelle. I appreciate that again. That is awesome. She broke the speed limit on the way here. And because they were arguing. So thank you, Michelle. (laughs) Appreciate that. That's awesome. Right? So we're to accept one another, and yet we're all wrestling with this thing, the flesh. We all want to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That flesh and that sin at times is going to cause us to bump into each other. Maybe even to sin against one another. And today we're going to look at what does it mean to forgive one another? Again, very important, the context is the church. Okay, forgive one another. He's not talking about salvation issues. He's talking about believers forgiving one another. Okay, so Ephesians 4.29, you can turn to it if you want, or it'll come up on the screen. I encourage you, still bring your Bibles. We put the, um, the verses up, not as a replacement for, for your Bibles. Okay, it's always one of those things in the church. It's kind of weird, you know, do we put it up? Well, if we put it up, people are going to stop bringing their Bibles. You know, we can't micromanage that. So, encourage you to bring your scriptures. It's A-OK around here. If your Bible's electronic, we got over that hurdle. Right? We're going to believe you're not playing a game. Checking email. You know, swipe real quick. Oh, he's looking. Swipe. I encourage you, if you beat a level, just don't yell out loud. Or just yell amen and I'll think it was something I said, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't even know where that came from. Ephesians 4.29. <laughs> Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3:12 through 14 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Forgiveness. That's a big topic, and just want to encourage you, we're going to camp here for a few weeks. I don't think there's anybody in this room that has uh, not been challenged with forgiveness. Forgiveness vertically, first and foremost, with with God. And then forgiveness going this way. It's a big topic. It's weighty. And what we really want to do over the next couple weeks is really say, what does the Bible say about forgiveness? Not my opinion, not my feelings, not what so-and-so said. What does the Bible say about forgiveness? And my prayer, honestly is that the Holy Spirit would give you clarity in His truth and set you free. Set you free. I'm not promising it's going to be easy, but once you get clarity, there's freedom in just having the clarity. Amen? And then you take a deep breath. You say, Lord, thank you for the clarity, but now I really need you in the clarity. But there's a sense that a burn's lifted because sometimes this issue of forgiveness, it's very feelings-driven, It's very, uh, there's a lot of influence from the world. 
you start saying things, even in the church, that aren't even in the Bible. And then you can get tied up in knots. You, you can live in kind of a fog and a haze, and you're just wondering, what's going on? And it's one of those words that maybe we take for granted that we think we know what the Bible teaches about forgiveness. And so we're going to camp here for a bit, right? It's very important. Look what Jay Adams says. Forgiveness is the oil that keeps the machinery of the Christian home and church running smoothly. In a world where even those who have been declared perfect in Christ sin, there is much to forgive. Christians who must work together closely find themselves denting each other's fenders, now and then taking out a taillight or two, and at times even having head-on collisions. Under such conditions, forgiveness is what keeps things from breaking down completely. Remember who he's talking to? Us. He's talking in the context of forgiveness to one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, right? How many of you here uh, have dented someone's fender? Right? What do you do with that when you're the offender or you're the offended, the hurt party? And this is really important because a lot of us may have, again, no fault of anyone, I, I picked it up, we apologize. We make apologies. That concept isn't in the Bible. In fact, the word apology in the original, if you look at the etymology, you know what it means? A defense or an excuse. You know, how many of you have heard the word apologetics? What's an apologetic? You're defending the Christian faith. Apologetics and apology are related. The word apology comes from the sense of making a defense, excusing myself, regretfully acknowledging. So even in the church, we kind of say, just apologize. Just apologize. That concept, that's not, the biblical standard is an apology. Or, or, anyone ever do this? I'm sorry, that's okay. I'm sorry, that's okay. Is that in the Bible? It's not. It's not. You're like, what? The biblical standard is forgiveness. It's not just apologizing, and it's not just saying, I'm sorry, it's okay, and then pretending like nothing ever happened. I grew up that way. I'd get into it with my siblings, and then we would go our own ways. Everyone would pout for a while. And then we would come back. And what would we do? Pretend it never happened. Or if it was really bad, I'm sorry. It's okay. Right? Oh, man, you know, I'm sorry. Is it? Is it really okay? And when I say I'm sorry, what do I really mean? I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry you don't see it my way. What are you really saying when you say I'm sorry? What, do you, what, what does that do? And then when she says it's okay, what is, what is she saying back? I mean, okay, but I still think I'm right. Huh? Right? All this, all this weirdness is going on underneath the, I'm sorry, it's okay. It's like the tip of the iceberg. I'm sorry, it's okay. Then right under the surface. We write it down on to be brought up at a future date. Right? I said okay, but I really didn't mean it. Because we just now get into making peace. We just want to make peace. That's not Biblical. The biblical standard is forgiveness. And when you forgive and you start to exercise biblical forgiveness, you know what happens? Issues get resolved. And here's the beautiful thing. When issues are resolved and true biblical reconciliation happens, relationships are deepened. Actually deepened. 
relationships mature. Relationships are more solid as you work through biblical forgiveness, which leads to biblical reconciliation. And then your relationship deepens. That's God's plan, and that's what we're looking at. In fact, when my kids were growing up, kids being kids, sometimes there's kids being kids, and then there's sometimes kids taking it out on their kid, their friend, their siblings, right? And so there were sometimes when, when Nadine and I would have to step in, and we say, "No, you need to go ask for forgiveness. Not don't just say I'm sorry." You need to go to your brother or your sister and you need to look them in the eye and we would bring them together and say, you need to ask for forgiveness. Whoo! Whole nother level of what? Ownership. Whole nother level of owning personal responsibility for your action to ask for forgiveness. You understand? A lot different than I'm sorry. When I say, will you please forgive me? I'm owning it. Right? And then we would have our other child literally not to, they can't say it's okay. We would encourage them to have them say, look them in the eye and say, I forgive you. That's ownership on their part. And we're going to understand what that means because there's a contract happening here. There's a transaction happening that deepens the sibling relationship. And you know what would happen time after time? Will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. That fast, they go back to playing together. It's resolved. It's resolved. They've moved on. Because in the, in the model of biblical forgiveness, there's a transaction happening. There's promises being made. We're going to see that over the next couple of weeks. And this is where we need to say, Lord, I have a hard enough time saying I'm sorry to the person next to me. Now you want me to say, will you forgive me? Oh, it got quiet. It got quiet. You mean, I got to say, will you forgive me? And then, Lord, wait, when they ask for forgiveness, biblically, I need to extend it. And I can't just say, it's okay. I should probably say, biblically, I forgive you. You know what's going to happen? Some marriages in here are going to deepen. Some of your relationships with your kids are just going to go deeper, biblically, because you start to speak and act biblically. Okay? This is why this is tough, right? Look at Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Right? The word forgiving is actually pretty interesting. It's, a, it's an interesting word if you look at it. It literally means to give freely and unconditionally or to bestow as a gift of what? Grace. Part of the original in the Greek, the word forgive, has the word grace in it, where we get the word grace. So there's give freely, unconditionally, to bestow as a gift of grace. If you want to help biblically, what does, to remind you what forgive, the, the root of it, the last four letters of the word forgive. What are they? Ooh, to forgive at its root is grace. Okay? Just kind of walking us through this. Just walking through. It's present tense, meaning forgiving one another should be continual, habitual lifestyle. It's just who we are as, as believers. It has to do, guys, here's the deal. Biblical forgiveness, and when we're called to forgive one another, it really, it's not just Oh, I'm surprised you did that. Oh, let me work through this one. What he's talking about in a broader sense is a readiness to forgive. A readiness. Which means daily, as we wake up and prepare for the morning, we are ready to extend the grace of forgiveness should something happen. It's a heart issue of readiness, of willingness all the time, continually. So, here's the deal. In the church, we're imperfect, we sin. We should expect things to happen. Amen? If you go with the expectation that you're around a bunch of imperfect people here, then you can take the next step and say, Lord, I need you to give me the heart of readiness. The heart of readiness to forgive. Changes everything. 
It's a heart. It's, an, it's, a, it's a readiness issue, right? Ephesians 3.16, the Apostle Paul has said, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now you get why we need the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now you get it. Biblical forgiveness, whoo, that's off the charts impossible in the flesh. It is just off the charts impossible. Okay? In the flesh. He says, just as. Key phrase. Just as. Why is this important? Because biblical forgiveness is not first and foremost centered on yourself. That's why this is tough. Oftentimes, when we're called to exercise forgiveness, what do, what's the first thing we go to? How we were hurt. We filter and we tend to look at forgiveness, first and foremost, through our own feelings and our own emotions and the consequences to us. What does he say? Forgive one another just as God. First focus, first reason, first motive to forgive has to do with God. Amen? You see me? But I know this is ingrained. I know this is challenging. That just as, don't miss the just as, because some of us here, that right there is going to be your sticky point. Because over and over and over and over, you've drilled into your head how you have been hurt. I can't believe they did that. Again. I can't believe they said that. How could they be so inconsiderate to me? Don't they know what they did? All of that might be valid. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying those aren't your legitimate feelings. What I am saying is you've got to go to the just as part. You've got to move past all of that and say, okay, Lord, i got a plate full of every reason why this forgiveness ain't going to happen from my point of view. Nevertheless, I'm putting that down just as. Right? Just as. And then it says, has forgiven. Has forgiven. We are forgiven. You see, biblical forgiveness is rooted in just as God forgave me and you. That's the primary focus. That, that enables us to take steps of faith in the Spirit of biblical forgiveness because we're focusing on him and his work. The only thing that we, that we are tending to focus on in this passage is how he forgave us. Right? How he forgave us. The challenging part, I don't know about you, but I do this all the time. How many of us tend to maximize other people's offenses and minimize ours? Crazy how that works, huh? Right? We maximize other people's offenses, and then when it comes to, well, it wasn't that bad. Right? And, that's why this is challenging. Right? One, one writer that, that, that I, I was, was reading and I was studying, it, it really helped me. He calls it gospel amnesia. Some of us in the church, we develop gospel amnesia, meaning. Wait, let's take it back to, to me, myself, and I and what God did for me. And if I deal with the gospel amnesia, maybe it'll set me free this way. And that's kind of what I want to focus on. And if you're struggling with it, so did Peter. Right? Sometimes this is not meant, you know, we're going to work through this together, guys. Seriously going to work through this together. And it's meant to be edifying, building you up. I know it's going to be like, mm, mm, mm. I've been studying this all week for me. You know? And I'm so grateful that Peter struggled with this. Right? So turn to Matthew 18. And let's learn. We're not going to look at this whole passage. We don't have time today. But we're going to just look at the first part of Peter struggling through forgiveness with Jesus. Matthew 18. Verse 21. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Remember, this is about brothers and sisters in the church. 
is not a salvation issue. It's about brothers and sisters. How many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now understand this. Peter actually was going above here. And he was actually, you know, some of us like seven. Come on, Peter. You know what? The Jewish rabbis at that time believed that God only required you to forgive an offender three times. So Peter doubled that, plus one. Hey, hey, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven times? Right? I'm doubling. I'm doubling what the religious leaders are. That's their standard. I'm already above that. Look at me. Woo-hoo, right? Look what Jesus says. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times, right? Or 70 times seven in another version, right? And he's like, is Jesus literally saying, okay, it's 490 for every person, whoever offends you, can't keep count? No, what he's saying in this is that, Peter, here's the point. There is no counting in the kingdom. There is no counting. Don't count. Right? It's impossible to keep count. He takes this biblical forgiveness out of the counting realm into the supernatural realm. That's Jesus' point. Peter, we don't count in the kingdom. We don't count. How many of you are challenged with that right off the bat? Because you have files. And there's names on the files. And I don't know how far back your files go, but mine can go pretty far depending on the person. Amen? And we keep count. And we just... Right? And along comes Jesus says, we don't count in the kingdom. We don't count. Biblical forgiveness has nothing to do with counting. We don't score keep around here. Right? And he says this, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began this, the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Like I said, we're not going to look at this. We're going to look at the first part. Let's go back to verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. A lot of people look at that and they try to figure out, well, what would that be in today's 10,000 talents? It would be several million. But what's really interesting is, is that word 10,000 actually means innumerable, innumerable or countless. 10,000 in this passage isn't 10,000 necessarily. Jesus uses a word in the Greek language at that time to signify countless. Like this debt, this debt was way beyond his capability to even think about literally paying it back. That's what Jesus said. He said, hey, this guy owed so much to the king, it was countless. There was no hope for this guy to ever pay it back. That's what the word 10,000 means. He was in a hopeless situation. Completely hopeless. The debt was so big, it was hopeless. Right? That's what Jesus is really saying. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had sold, he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. He's brought before the king. 
realizing that this debt is so big, he's never going to be able to pay this back. And now the king is threatening consequences. Consequences that were acceptable. He and his wife and his children and all that he had, he sold to repay the debt in that culture. Okay, I need something back. I'm going to sell off your family. Consequences. And this servant has this moment where he just begs for mercy. Just begs for mercy. What does he say? Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. There was no way he was going to pay back everything. Absolutely no way. It was too big. Way too big. And then the king does something that shocks everybody. Forgives him. Cancels the debt. What do we call that? The gospel. That's the gospel. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. Good news. You see, a lot of times, again, we, we water it down and we forget that at the core, the gospel is the good news. And what is the good news? That I and you had this huge debt before God called sin, and there was no way we were going to ever pay him back, earn our way out of this debt, and at some point, you and I went to the Lord and said, Oh, have mercy on me. I'm done. That's us. The servant is us. That's what putting your faith in Jesus is, coming to the end of yourself, recognizing this huge insurmountable debt called sin, all the things you and I have done, all the things living for self, all this thing, right? The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This huge debt, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We have consequences, right? And we just get to this place where you say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you put your faith in the finished work of Jesus at the cross. And here's what the king of kings does. Cancels your debt. Not only cancels your debt, he says, now come be my child. <laughs> he not only cancels my debt and your debt, he then he says, and now you're my child. And I am so pleased with you because I see you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Amen? Do you see that? Right? We're going to look at what he did after he left next week. Because he has a sudden case of gospel amnesia. An immediate case of gospel amnesia. But we're going to get there next week. Today we've got to stay here, guys. If we're going to honor God with biblical forgiveness, you can't have gospel amnesia. You just can't. You and I, we gotta, we got to get back to that place every once in a while where you go, are you kidding me? After all I've done, after all I said, the offer of good news is still for me? And you receive God's grace just like the unworthy servant. And when it goes from here to your heart and that really sinks in and you just receive God's grace and forgiveness, that changes you. It will radically change your heart and your perception of others that offend you. And because one of the things it does, it starts to put in perspective all your, how you've been offended and how you offended God. That perception is key. That's why gospel amnesia needs to be dealt with. If you and I can accept the fact that we offended and sinned against God far greater than anyone on this planet could ever do to us, we're on our road to biblical forgiveness. 
you and I can stay humble and broken and really acknowledge the debt on our account that was canceled and forgiven and then put that in, in light of all the offenses that we have to deal with here, that softens our hearts. That changes our heart. That changes our heart. And that's really what he's talking about, right? That's really what he's talking about here. I love this by a quote by D. Martin Lord-Jones. He says, I say to the glory of God in an utter humility that whenever I see myself before God and realize even something of what my blessed Lord has done for me, I am ready to forgive anybody anything. If we really know Christ is our Savior, our hearts are broken and cannot be hard, and we cannot refuse forgiveness. So it starts. It starts at the cross. We're called, we're commanded to forgive biblically. And Jesus says, I know that. I know in the flesh. Some of you right here are like, what? He says, I know that. But come back to my forgiving you. Receive that. Experience that again. Be overwhelmed by that again. And let that be your starting point. Let that be your starting point. There's a verse, and we're going to wrap up before communion. There's a verse. I love this. We'll pick this up next week. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. I love that verse. I will keep that up for a bit. See, here's the radical thing. When you are forgiven by God, he says, I remember your sins no more. Now, how many of you have ever heard the phrase, I'll just forgive and forget? Is that biblical? By now you're like, probably not. God does not forget, as in he's a forgetful God. Like, oh really? Gosh, huh? Go figure, I forgot. That is not God. He remembers my sin, your sin no more. What does that mean? He actively chooses never to bring it It's done. It's buried. When you and I put our faith in Christ and our sins are forgiven, we have peace and joy and we move forward knowing that God promises to never bring it up and throw it in our face again. Amen? That's a promise. That's biblical forgiveness. That's one of the promises that we find in biblical forgiveness is that God chooses actively never to throw it in your face again. And that's what we're supposed to do to one another. But that's why we have to have a forgiveness transaction versus I'm sorry, it's okay. Because ultimately, we're going to look at this in the next weeks ahead. If I sin against Scott... And I say, Scott, will you forgive me, brother? I sinned against you. You know what my part of the contract is? I am going to do my best as God enables me to never do that again. That's what I'm saying when I ask for forgiveness. And when he says, I forgive you, you you know what his part of that deal is? I'm not going to bring it up ever again. It's done. So when he and I exercise biblical forgiveness, he knows I love him and I'm going to do my best never to sin against him again that way and I know he's never going to throw it in my face. And then our relationship is reconciled and we just got deeper. We're going to look at this more because I know forgiveness, biblically, is a tough cookie. And we need him. And that's a good place. Amen? Colossians 2.13 says this, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken away, nailing to the cross. John 19.30, when, he had, when Jesus said, When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You know what that phrase, it is finished? It's an accounting term. The debt has been paid in full. 
Whose debt? Make it personal. Whose debt? Paid in full. Paid in full. Canceled. That's the starting point of us being able to go that way with forgiveness. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Oh, Lord, in this imperfect and fallen world, we have been wounded, even in the church. We have been wounded. We have been offended. We have been sinned against. And Lord, oh, in the flesh, it just seems so impossible. And it is in the flesh. But Lord, we remember that it's not just about us and our feelings. It's about ultimately going to the cross and being reminded of how you forgave us. It is finished. My debt has been paid in full. So Father, forgive us if we've had gospel amnesia. And use this time of communion to once again overwhelm us with your love and your grace. Show us how innumerable our debt was that you canceled. And we celebrate your grace through faith in Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus and you recognize your debt, the Bible calls it sin, cannot be paid for by works. There's nothing you can do. You can just finish, rest in the finished work of Jesus. In the best way you know how, say, God, forgive me. I believe Jesus died for me and through that my debt has been canceled, paid in full by his blood and resurrection. Put your faith in Christ. Receive his forgiveness today. And for you who are part of the church, my prayer is that this time of communion would be a time of reflection. What it means that our debt has been paid in full and we are forgiven. So we're going to open up the communion tables. Once again, you can come up, take a cup and a piece of bread, and then once everyone serves, we'll take communion together.